Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today is Luke Cairns, Head of Production at Hightower Video. And we're going to be discussing lessons from 80s TV advertising that you can still apply today. I'm a 90s baby. I'm looking forward to learning more about the 80s. Luke, welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you, Scott, and thanks for making me feel old straight away, straight off the bat. <laughs> well, it's not my intention. It's a throwback. And actually, that's quite interesting already just to start with, because I study advertising and have studied advertising from the 40s through till now. I'm interested in all eras equally, I would say. I think it's that that feeling of nostalgia takes you, takes you back to your childhood, and there's like a special connection with the things that happened as a child. And so for me... All of those TV adverts that I remember that are stuck in my memory, they're all from the 90s. Before we go into that discussion about the 80s and 80s TV ads and why you love them, maybe if you could just describe to our listeners your role at Hightower Video and yeah, what you do in your day-to-day role. Sure. So I'm head of production at Hightower Video. We split our time really between TV adverts, the, the modern take of TV adverts, a lot of daytime direct response and brand response TV adverts, as well as plenty of online video content. So promos, brand films, uh, even some sort of internal comms I'm doing a bit of at the moment, but a fairly fairly widespread uh, doing strategy, uh, doing lots of creative production. And really the, the main focus and the main push that we have is to try and make content, which is a break from the norm, really, you know, to try and go against the grain a bit because we're a big believer, we are all big believers, that um, content which uh, uh, well, content which makes people sit up and take notice is the kind of content that breaks through and resonates. Start me off and help me understand where your passion for both production, but also 80s TV ads start. Well, yeah, it starts, of course, nostalgia is a huge part of it. And it starts from the fact that I was, I was born in 79. So I grew up, and I remember specifically it was Christmas TV adverts as well, growing up through the 80s, and I just loved them, you know. And it's, you know, again, nostalgia plays a big part in it. But re-watching them and having, you know, a VCR, um, we were kind of the first generation, I say I was the first generation of kids to have a VCR. I guess we got to see those adverts again and again. But really 
what has happened over the course of the last 40 years or so is that these adverts have, have, have well, the good ones, the best ones have remained and they've become part of the, the, the lexicon. You know, uh, Ron Seal is a classic example. You know, it does exactly what it says on the tin. For example, of a more sort of workmanlike uh, TV ad from that era. But they're, they're very special adverts, some of them. And, you know, we'll talk in more detail about why. But um, nostalgia is a part of it, but pure production and creativity is a big part as well. Talk to me more about the production and creativity side of things then. So maybe with some examples, you just mentioned Ron Sill there. Are mm-hmm. there any standout ads from the 80s that just stick in your mind that you kind of, I know I do it with the 90s sometimes, is this is kind of a guilty pleasure of like going to YouTube and saying Cadbury's advert from the night, a Toys R Us is the one for me for the 90s actually. And going yeah. back and, and Nintendo, that I have that guilty pleasure of spending hours just looking at old 90s ads on YouTube sometimes. Which stand out for you? Oh, for, for me, and, and I guess we have to get nostalgia a bit out of the way first, but also from just the, the way that some of these adverts, they kind of, they remain and sustain and they influence to an extent what we do now. But one of my favorites actually is from right at the end of the 80s, early 90s, and it's a, an advert for Dunlop, which um, was directed by Tony Kay, who went on to direct uh, American History X. And it is bonkers. It's the, the production values were insane. It was over, I think it was two million pounds for this advert, which featured massive bald men, painted silver, and pianos being shoved off uh, motorway junctions, and and all uh, soundtrack by a beautiful track by Velvet Underground called Venus and Furs, um, and that is an advert which stuck with me in, in a big way. There's, there's lots more. There's loads more from the 80s. You know, the Levi advert uh, in the laundrette. There's there's a series of adverts from Carlin Black Label which stuck with me, which had uh, Stephen Fry singing uh, songs about Abdullah Bulbul Amir. Loads of, loads of adverts in that sense. Um, I think really why they resonate, though, I mean, apart from nostalgia, is the fact that they – have a real sense of creativity and and what really really strikes me about that period is that it was a period where from if you're going to be a historian about it from the sort of the 760s and 70s uh, a lot of adverts stopped being produced by americans coming over to the uk and producing adverts and we had creatives like uh, adam parker and ridley scott and all these incredible people start producing adverts for a dedicated uk audience and that was really the start i think and that's the real uh, the power of 80s advertising is that it was the culmination of all these really interesting filmmakers coming up and starting to produce amazing adverts where they had complete con- uh, creative control and that is something really nobody has had in advertising since so i think that's a big reason you know i'm such a big fan there was a transition from us-based directors directing uk ad to it being uk directors in the when did you say early 90s well no we're going we're going way back so way back. really the sort of the 50s after the war and there's a really good documentary on youtube about this one I'll, I'll tell you about later on called the ad men which is on bbc4 but it really started after the war you had the, the classic sort of madison avenue ad men were sort of shipped over wholesale to the uk uh, so all the copywriting, all the directing was done by Americans, and it was all all very crisp English accents like that. You know, you'll buy our product today, won't you? And really, with the sixties, sort of cultural revolution came. People like Alan Parker, people like uh, David Putnam, uh, 
the Saatchi sort of they came out from that and really imprinted their own uh, unique British brand uh, on TV advertising, and that really was a cultural shift. And I guess the the eighties were really the culmination of all of that big cultural uh, and very creative group of people who made some really excellent TV adverts. For you personally, was in terms of the advertising specifically, does your kind of love for TV ads extend to more general things about the 80s? So remove nostalgia. Is there anything specific about the techniques used in TV advertising in the 80s that also applies to other types of video? Absolutely, yeah. The the thing about the, the 80s is that it was the start really of where Again, because creativity was key, that uh, expectations could be subverted. So rather than having a beautiful woman taking a kiss off in the laundrette, Levi put a, a guy being ogled at by uh, ladies in the laundrette. There's, there's other, you know, the, the rise of the influencer as well. Of course, everybody, everybody's fully aware of influencer marketing and the power of that. But really, you go back to the 80s and uh, Cinzano with uh, Joan Collins and the other roster and adverts like that where they really they really discovered that the power of using celebrities and bringing celebrities into tv advertising could provide that uh, that extra boost for the brand you know combining the brand of the celebrity with the brand together creating a really quite formidable uh, sales proposition are there any celebrity led ads that stand out to you more than others in the from the 80s um, well, yeah, the, the classic one, always the classic one, that direct by Adam Parker was the Cinzano one. Um, there's plenty of others. Peter Sellers did a, a series of adverts which were funny. You know, John Cleese was always popping up on in, in adverts for various things. Well, Leslie Nielsen did an amazing set of adverts for Red Rock Cider, which were done in a similar way to the Naked Gun film. So you had that amazing uh, interplay of language, you know, and that that's that's particularly interesting. That's kind of bringing that into a TV advert uh, and having that in a format which is only thirty or sixty seconds, you know, because because airplane and all those uh, those se- the, the, the airplane series and the naked gun is everything is done so quickly and it's so visual. It's a, a perfect it's a perfect format for for a TV advert, and it's a real shame that um, TV adverts aren't like, made like that anymore, really. So you mentioned uh, the Dunlop ad, and I can't remember the director for that one. What was that person's name? So it's Tony Kay, who yeah. directed American History X. Yeah, yeah. The reason that was interesting to me is I've only become more recently aware of how many film directors actually start out in TV, directing TV ads. That's like a phenomenon that I wasn't aware of. And you've just referenced one there. And I think you mentioned Ridley Scott as well as you were talking. Is that a way for videographers, directors to start cutting their teeth in the advertising industry before moving on to films? Is that common? Yeah, it happens. It happens a lot. Uh, more recent examples are Michael Bay, unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. Uh, Fincher, David Fincher came from TV adverts. It's, well, it's definitely, I think because as a, a form, perhaps not an art form, but certainly as a format, it's... Uh, it, Again, in the eighties, you could be highly creative with it. Less so now; it's much more. Uh, the, the budget budgets are a fraction of what they were, and, and you know the bean counters have taken back control since then. But as a format, it's uh, it's ripe for for being able to express creativity. And if you happen to make an advert which really resonates and is seen by a particular person, 
you know, it still happens now. I'm trying. I'm struggling to think of a more recent example than uh, Michael Bay. But uh, I remember Michael. I can't remember if it came up on the podcast or whether I was just reading it. Uh, and I want to get to that point in about a moment about reading and studying. But uh, Michael Bay came up in conversation for me at some point, and that really surprised me to learn that he started out in uh, advertising as well. You look at his filmmaking. And you can see it. As soon as you know, you realize, you see that the camera doesn't stop moving for a second in a Michael Blake film. You know, if there's not robots hitting each other and, and explosions happening and everything else, you'll see that. And it's an interesting little uh, experiment. You just watch the shots. So there'll be two people talking in a room. And you can see there's, well, the camera's moving all the way around them all the time. You know, it's, it should, any other filmmaker would just have a static shot. But Michael Bay being Michael Bay and having a sensibility of music videos and, and uh, TV adverts, he's always moving the camera, which, you know, I'm not a particularly big fan of Michael Bay and certainly not the Transformers films, but it's, yeah. And then Ridley Scott's the same, you know. I mean, they all they all have a sensibility where they, they've had to capture the imagination in a very short period of time, and that kind of shows. Yeah, this is really interesting to think about as well because essentially you need a budget to experiment i assume so as a videographer and when you're learning when you're starting to experiment you can't risk some of these techniques to find your own style on on big projects you may not have the budget or you may not want to risk that budget so i assume that advertising even though there is a lot of advertising budget behind a lot of these ads that you're discussing and probably was back in the 80s i imagine that it's an easier way to it's kind of small bets it's starting small and just finding your style before then developing it into longer form yeah, I, it, it can happen, and it does happen. You know, I, I've, uh, I guess it just goes it goes broader than TV advertising now, of course, because there's so much content everywhere that uh, I'm working on a – well, I've actually worked recently on a short film with a guy who's 26, and we're uh, – well, we're putting together a proposition for a feature for it. And he's – being 26, he's made four films off his own back already. And he's, he's developed that his own visual style by working with me on adverts to an extent, but also just working. He worked for a few years for a pharmaceutical company doing talking head videos, but his, yeah, the, the, the joy of, of there being so much uh, content out there, video content. If you, if you are an interesting filmmaker, if you, uh, if you have a, a creative sensibility, you can figure your way out and TV advertising is one method. Brand films is another, even TikTok, you know, if you, you can get yourself noticed and you can develop those skills and that skill set relatively easily and relatively cheaply. You mentioned about being a historian a moment ago. I mentioned at the beginning about the guilty pleasure of mine, like spending hours on YouTube searching ads from the 90s. And are there any resources or it could be YouTube, it could be other resources that come to mind where you spend a lot of your time studying these things. It sounds like you're a real studier of the craft. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I do. I watch, like everybody else, I watch a lot of YouTube, you know, and it's um, in terms of particular channels on there, TV Arc's always a classic for classic TV and classic TV advertising. Diving more deeply into the specific techniques, so the lessons that you've taken from 80s TV advertising and you've started to apply to, I can't remember how you described it, but your visual style, the things that you do today. And it doesn't necessarily have to be TV ads that you've created. It could be more general within content that you produce. What techniques have you taken? What are you applying from the 80s that can still apply today? Well, really, for me, um, the biggest lesson that I've had, certainly from that period, 
that was when the creators were very fortunate in that everybody bowed to them, you know, before and after and since, you know, all the way through. It's really been about the strategy and, you know, the marketing department having control and also the client's involvement in terms of the client setting the precedent rather than the creative. But the joy of that period was that the creative ran riot, you know, and the, the, the budgets were enormous. So the one big takeaway really from that is, again, as I mentioned at the top, is that what I try to do is allow the my creatives and me to, to try and have as much say as I can in production because the creativity resonates, certainly on TV, but I'd say even so, even more so on online content. You know, I've, I've got a client, software client, who uh, had to make a, a Meet the Team video for a conference. And we looked at a lot of the other Meet the Team videos that had already been produced for the con- uh, conference from various software companies. And they were all talking head videos, and they all look exactly the same, and they're all saying exactly the same things. And you switch off straight away. You know, the pattern's there. You, you just you just completely turn off. And what I suggested to the marketing manager, who's a good mate of mine, Vic, uh, I suggested to her that we go completely the other way and we uh, take the take the people who actually are in the company, the representatives of the company already, and just see what they're about and see what they're into. So we, we had some sea swimming. We had a guy uh, who, uh, who was into medieval swords, so he had him swinging a sword around his head on top of a building in Brighton. So we took what those people were and, and the existing people in the company and what they were about. And we made a film based on that, showing people rather than telling. You know, it's the classic thing, isn't it? So that was the takeaway, and that's what I've tried to apply ever since. And it was really from the creativity of 80s TV advertising is that you need to, you need to show people character and you need to break the patterns and you need to break through the beige and create content which resonates and which people sit up and start listening to and and act upon. How difficult is that now compared to how it was 10, 15 years ago? Oh, well, much more difficult, you know, because there's so many, you know, if you're talking in the context of TV, a bit more than 15 years ago, say 20 years ago, there's only five channels. Now it's thousands. There's, uh, of course, you know, the internet, YouTube, everything else, there's so many channels for people to, to take in content. But even... So the reality is that most of the channels, most of the content you see online, most of the video content is really vanilla, really beige. So as a marketer, as a, uh, a creative or a, 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 an agency person, I think it's really about figuring out how to go against the grain and how to produce content which resonates. And, and that really, you know, that's sort of the ultimate battle between art and commerce really, isn't it? You know, because of course, all the marketing people, all the uh, all the people interested in strategy, you know, have all their uh, all their strategy points that they want to follow, and the client sort of follows that. But for me, uh, it's really thinking a lot more about the creative and cutting through. The way I'm visualising it in my mind is like maybe there's less creative governance, or there was less creative governance in the '80s in comparison today. Is that your perception too? Is it is it becoming more difficult to because on one hand I'd imagine it's very liberating to be able to work on lots of different video format. As you were talking a moment ago, you mentioned TikTok and YouTube and Daily Motion, and you know, we've got Instagram live streaming. There are so many different formats for video, and yet on the other, it sounds like in your tone that 
there's this battle or greater battle than ever for the creatives to actually have and retain some level of creative control. Is that something you experience? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the struggle, the first, well, there are some clients, there are joyous clients who, and I have one that I'm working on a project with at the moment, who, who guess it or who I can talk to and who get to understand it. Uh, to use another very quick example, uh, I'm currently developing a second TV advert for a pension client. And this pension client had a TV advert produced a couple of years ago, which was a guy standing in a kitchen talking about pensions with a cup of tea. And it's just that kind of daytime TV advert. I don't want to be rude about it. That, that people just it sends people to sleep because it's stuff, stuff they see all the time. And what I did, I was working with my copywriter at the time, who sadly has passed away since, but has been a very big influence on what I do. He he just really was very persuasive to the client and luckily the, the the md was in the conversation that you can't make a pen if you're making a pension advert the last thing you want to do is make a pension advert you've got to go <laughs> completely the other way and stand out and do something which resonates um, and we made rather than having a guy in the kitchen we we got hold of four giant penguin costumes and went up to thorpe park with a stuntman and um on Thorpe Lakes, they have uh, a giant, <laughs> a giant um, obstacle course on the water. So we had the penguin bouncing around the obstacle course and, and falling in the water and all that stuff. And that was the basis of the advert, which was goes back to, uh, uh, to it's a knockout, which was a, a show that, which appeals to the target audience. So there was a method in the madness, but that advert turned out to resonate incredibly well and has been very successful for the the company. You know, aside from the art of maybe persuasion. Is there anything that you can do to help business people or encourage business people to leave the creative to the creatives? Is there anything that specifically you do technique-wise to try and make that happen? How do you bring it to life and just convince them to not err on the side of caution? It really depends on the client, and it, it really is the the relationship that you can build with that client. You know, of course, there are finance clients, there are clients in very sober verticals where it's very difficult but then there are other people perhaps uh, you know there are industries which are easier i do a lot of stuff in home improvement and home improvement mm-hmm. as a sector they they tend to be a bit more relaxed about it and a bit more receptive but it does help for me it helps if that client has happened to have a, a, a you know a, a not satisfactory experience with tv or with online video before um i'm, I'm in the, the habit of producing content for people who hasn't you know who, who have had difficulties and that conversation is a lot easier because they're frustrated they think okay is this an issue with the the media side of things is it an issue with the, the strategy is it the creative is it what is the production um, and being able to show them being able to show them uh, how to how to go against that grain and seeing how it can resonate is is very positive we talked about nostalgia at the beginning. It's really difficult to know when you look back how big a role nostalgia plays on your perception of what creativity is today. Do you think that plays a role in how you're experiencing content and TV today? Or is there anything outside of governance that you think just is like the essence of 80s advertising that can still be applied today regardless of these points related to governance? Well, humour is a big one. I think humor is, is sorely missed and satire, actually. You know, I think there is, 
a, a serious lack of, and this is again, it's, it's a broad, it's a broad topic, of course, video content. Um, but I think more satire and more humour is 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 needed. I think the, there was a big change in the nineties where all brands became much more global in terms of their marketing and their advertising. And I think a, a big part which is is missing. Um, is a is a locality, is a, a local feel for big brands. Think more locally. Um, it's a shame um, that an example from the eighties. It's not really a humorous one, but an example is the Hovis advert, famous kid wheeling a bicycle up a hill, which was directed by Ridley Scott, which was a, a massive advert in the eighties. Um, but obviously, that had a real Yorkshire feel to it. There was a real sort of a warm, cozy feeling, which clearly resonated very strongly with uh, with audiences. And perhaps now, uh, I, I did a uh, I did a, a campaign for Sandisk a few years ago, and the uh, although it was a lot of fun to do and it was successful, it was very generic in terms of locality. You know, we couldn't be specific at all. It was a global campaign, um, and I think that that takes a little bit of the fun out of it. It's really interesting that you mentioned satire because that's arguably one of the strongest aspects, at least historically, of UK humour. It's really unique to to the UK, how we do satire. And I was recently in Amsterdam and I went on there. They've got this 4D Welcome to Holland experience and you go in and it's kind of like a cross between a theme park ride and a history lesson. And the thing that struck me most, I was so engaged that I think the whole thing lasted like 25 minutes and the presenter, the host of this experience, it was all comedy based. It was all humor. There was lots of satire there. And it kind of struck me. I was having a conversation with my girlfriend afterwards. Like you would never, if there was an, if there was a similar experience in the UK, I don't think we would make fun of ourselves and our culture in the same way that the Dutch (laughs) have in that way. I just, I almost feel like the comedic aspects of our culture become a bit too stuffy and it's funny because as you're talking that through, I think the same way about our advertising. And maybe it's just, maybe the bigger picture is that maybe it's just not a part of our culture in the UK as maybe it was back in the 80s. Well, yeah, I think uh, it's a lot of it is um, everybody's terrified of, of offending somebody. Um, you know, <laughs> I guess if you're talking, yeah, if we're talking about the UK, and this is everywhere really now, you, mm-hmm. know, you have to be careful and you have to be respectful. A big part of 80s humour probably wouldn't fly now anyway. So, yeah, I, I understand everybody has to be very careful and um, respectful, uh, but that does take a lot of elements perhaps of satire, especially local satire, out of the mix. So there are there are political, there are sort of socio-economic um, reasons that content isn't as edgy or as daring or perhaps doesn't resonate in the same way it's because of the world we live in now you know the the example of uh, i actually saw in the paper today that there was an advert for somebody or another and there was a male model with um uh it was a i guess it was a um uh, it was a male model who was holding some shower gel in front of his privates and and (laughs) the the papers were up in arms about it you know and that's kind of interesting that um the example i used earlier on with the Levi advert, which was subverting expectations then having a male guy, um, a male model instead of a, a lady with a kiss off that we're now at the point where it's very difficult to, to do anything at all without offending somebody. From a practical standpoint, as a head of production, I talked a moment ago about 
the variety of video formats that are available to us now in comparison to the 80s. On the scale of being really scared and intimidated and overwhelmed by that to being really excited and liberated, where are you? Is it a lot to learn? Yeah, I, well, I, I'm 43, so I'm, I'm gladfully not getting involved in TikTok. I mean, I am. That's, that's not true. <laughs> but I have done TikTok campaigns. But yeah, there's, there's definitely, Douglas Adams said that um, if you're under the age of 25, I think, uh, new technology is, is something that you, you take on board and you're native to. And if you're between 25 and 40, you adapt to it. And if you're over 40, forget it, you know. So as, as new formats arrive, I'm, I'm looking at them with suspicion. But I think it's wonderful creatively for people at home. Um, or, or for people starting out or for people becoming successful and stuff like TikTok, you know, I'm, I'm all for it, but that's, yeah, I think that's where my ship sailed. I was. Yeah. So, so how do you manage that as a head of production? Because I imagine there's this ex, like, I imagine there's this expectation that people come to you maybe for, you tell me, maybe branded content, for example, across different social media platforms or their websites. It's kind of a similar experience in marketing is that things move at fast. And it's easy to feel nostalgic about the past, maybe feel like creativity isn't the same as it once was, but yet you still need to run a business. You still need to be aware of these platforms. You still need to find some excitement and enjoyment, even if you're not on those platforms yourself. How do you do that? You blag it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you work with, I, I work with, again, this, this chap that I work with, I'm, I'm sort of developing a feature with, yeah. native to all of that. So you work with people. You know, if you get to a venerable age, I don't think I'm that old. <laughs> I don't feel that old. But where there's there's gaps in your skill set as a an owner of a business or a head of production or, or whatever, that you, you bring resource in, of course. Mm. You, know, you work with people who understand that, you know. And I, I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn because that, I, as far as I can see, I, I can still fit in the, you know, I can fit into that quite nicely. But, um, yeah, I know I, I happily bring in, resource when needed um, in terms of video production. You're talking about the 80s here, and I imagine you talk to colleagues and maybe younger colleagues in a similar way. How do you find that they respond to older advertising that you present them with? Are they able to learn the techniques from years gone past, or are they very much in the moment learning their techniques from the social media platforms and things that exist today? Well, well, as with any any creativity, really, you know, if you look, again, I'm, I'm a student of film, um, uh, from university, you uh, you look back at older stuff because that's where the, the the core ideas come from. You know, you look back at Hitchcock films because he, he invented the reverse zoom dolly, which is the, the same shot that you see in Jaws, um, where where yeah, where Brody sort of becomes smaller and bigger at the same time on the beach. Um, there's and then the same with advertising. You know, there's there are staples which are created then. Because if you if you go back and look at a lot of these adverts now, you think, oh Christ, they have aged. But these core principles uh, were created then. So if I show um, Andrew, for example, an advert from the eighties, he can understand that this is where that particular shot was developed. You know, right. a, a good example, briefly, is motion control, which um, is a difficult concept to um, to kind of explain. But basically, where cameras are mounted on on computer. Um, control motors and they go through multiple passes to um, to allow uh, uh, to allow shots to be replicated and over and over again and that was invented in the 80s and it started in tv advertising and the same with computer graphics you know and the same with 
After Effects or, or the, the precursor to After Effects, you know, the, the basic graphics packages, all of the things that you see in modern TV advertising in, in all pretty much any, uh, any professionally made content that you see online uh, has its roots in technology or technique that was developed then. Are there any techniques that are left behind that you're glad are left behind and they remain there in the 80s? Again, maybe they remain there in your memory because they just wouldn't work in today's environment for some reason. I don't know about techniques, but certainly culturally, sexism, racism, homophobia, you know, take a laundry list, you know, of, of any any sort of socially uh, cringy stuff because it's all there. Technically, um, the, yeah, I guess the... It's it's less the techniques and more the the concepts, maybe. Some of them, yeah, yeah. Some of them are really cringy. But then equally, you have something really progressive like the United Colors of Benetton, their, their mm. campaigns, which were unbelievably progressive and still still are to the point where you probably wouldn't see them now because, uh, you know, having – this is a press advert, advert which like springs to mind – having three actual hearts on a printed page – just just sitting there and saying black, white, Asian or whatever. Something that's so, I mean, really, or a, a newborn baby or, or something like that. Stuff which is unbelievably provocative um, is really interesting, but it's perhaps a bit too provocative now. Luke, it's been a really interesting episode and interesting to reflect on the 80s. You've certainly introduced me to some... Uh, names and ads there i talked about being my guilty pleasure spending time looking at 90s ads on youtube i'm going to go back a decade and probably look some of these up as well before i let you go do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and hightower video yeah absolutely uh, so uh, my production company website is hightower.video uh, there's lots of show reels and other good stuff on there and i'm pretty active on linkedin uh, it's my name so luke can c-a-i-r-n-s on linkedin post most days on there so good to join up with people if they listen to this it'd be good to chat on there as well luke thanks so much for your time the links to your company will be in the show notes and all that's left to say is this has been the internet marketing podcast take care deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.